Okay, welcome to another episode of Divine. My name is Tom, and today I am joined by a very special guest, Dr. Marion Piper. That's right. <laughs> uh, Marion is a freelance copywriter, and today we'll be talking about the power—excuse pow- <coughs> me—the power of words. Uh, be- yes. Before we jump into that, um, what have you been up to in the last week? Oh, gosh, in the last week, uh, recovering mostly from the death flu that has seemed to have wiped out and decimated Melbourne. I know. So many people have (laughs) been dragged under. They have. And more so, I think, I feel more so that this year than any other. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm freelancing now and I tend to notice these things a bit more. Yeah. Um, But other than that, uh, I actually had a delayed birthday party on Saturday. Nice. Um, We made pizza. It was a pizza party. Did you make the dough? I did, yeah. Yes. That's magic. It was really nice. Um, I had a small crew, a few people I hadn't seen in a while. So uh, there was a bit of that. And then, yeah, just uh, trying to um, connect with people and find clients and all that fun stuff. So Yeah, so you've recently entered into the wonderful world of freelance. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> yes, uh, only it's only been a couple of months for me. I freelanced before a few years ago, but I didn't really, it was more so while I was studying, so I didn't really sure. give it um, a red hot go. Yeah. Like I had zero systems, zero way of tracking anything. So this time around, I've been a little more organized um, and have been, yeah, setting goals and doing a vision and, you know, all that fun uh, small biz uh, stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, great. Uh, to our listeners, you might notice that one of our regulars is missing today. <laughs> Nick, um... I've at- gagged him and put him in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marion actually took him out. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that'll be the end of hearing from Nick. Yeah. No, there were sound issues um, on Nick's end. So, today it's me and Marion jamming out. Um, so, yeah, just before we jump into the meaty part... Um, yeah, the last week has been pretty fun for me too. Oh, yeah? What's yeah. been going on? Um, played a show at the Gasometer on oh, Friday. Gasso. Yeah, which was so much fun. Oh, yeah. So good. Um, the sound person was just incredible. It makes such a difference. Gotta love that. Like standing on stage and all the foldback, like everything sounds the way it's supposed to sound. Mm. And you're looking out and it's like, yeah, it seems as though it's sounding right for them to. Oh, yeah. Dream. Beautiful. It's and, so good. um,. Went to White Night on Saturday. I saw that splashed all over Instagram. I was uh, in my pizza party mode, so I didn't even realise what was happening. What was the best thing that you saw? Oh, this um, the performance at the end of the... I I believe it was the closing performance for the festival. Um, So me and some friends just stumbled upon, um, yeah, this moving kind of circus performance that was moving down along the river the Yarra, Mm-mm. just like on the other side of uh, Fed Square there. So rather than just like there being a spectacle that's stationary, like with all these pyrotechnics and light shows and smoke machines and, yeah, um, machinery with, I guess, yeah, circus performers hanging off it. Cool. It was moving. Cool. And so everyone was like running along and oh. um, it was all leading to this final kind of triumphant um, ending to the whole <laughs> festival. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Wow. I think, did I see something about that, that it was uh, like Mad Max themed? Or there, there was, was something? There was one installation. Yeah. I didn't catch that one, but there was stuff everywhere. 
Was it better, you think, having it spread out over three days this year? Because I think it was, was it over three nights? Yeah, I think it was. Then, then like one massive, you know, endurance. Yeah, well, <laughs> endurance it, definitely, it definitely wasn't overcrowded. Yeah. It was pretty chill. I think yeah. partly because the weather was shocking in the lead up. <laughs> Good um, point. But maybe that contributed the fact that it was spread across three days. Maybe that kept it, kept the numbers a little bit more chill. Mm, mm. Yeah. Oh, I'm bummed I missed it now. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's there's always the the warm one in Feb, I think. That's true, yeah. yeah. Much better. Um, so let's talk about the power of words. Oh, man. That's kind of your jam. Oh, oh boy, that's my, that's my epic jam, really. Yeah. So we talk about where design and development kind of overlap in the web context. Um, but, of course, words play such a massive part in whether or not a website is effective. Absolutely. And I think also they play, when the writing's good, they play an invisible part of that process. Sure. Like people don't realise that actually someone has written that, you know, especially if it's written in a way that's uh, designed for the person on the other end. Sure. Um, it can be like sort of like the invisible ninja yeah, of, right. of the design process. Yeah. Um, at least, yeah, at least when it's written well. When it's done really badly, you can't help but notice it. Yeah. And it just stops you in your tracks every time. So for me, I think one of the biggest um, learnings that I've taken away from my time copywriting, because I haven't always been a copywriter, which actually if you speak to most copywriters, it's something that they've either stumbled into or have just become, had to find a way to monetize their um their skill set. Yeah, right. Um, so it's something that I think a lot of people come into sideways. But uh, one of the biggest things I've learned, particularly working in a commercial context with words, is that it's all about the person on the other end, you know. Mm. You can have the best ideas and the best product, um, but the same similarly with design, if you can't talk about it or if you can't create a personality around it mm. that's um, targeted at the person who you know needs your product or your service, then you know, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. So keeping, and, and by that we mean the, the person that's actually reading this copy. Yeah, the yeah, person the person receiving. who's sitting there on their phone scrolling on, on the train or, you know, sitting at home at night, late at night doing research. Maybe they want to buy a flight. Maybe they're looking for a designer, you know. Yeah. Um, they have a life, as just as we all do, they have a life um, that surrounds them and environments that they play in and work in and... Um, move through every day, you know, and as a copywriter and as a designer, I'm sure, you know, you've got to be conscious of these things, of how your work's going to be received. Sure. Yeah. And it's, it's almost a, it can often be characteristic of starting out in design is that you're designing for yourself (laughs) and gradually it's about learning that, well, it's actually for this this end person. Do you find that that happens with copywriting as well at the start? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was even guilty of it myself. You know, you start out with these grand ambitions of, I'm going to write something so catchy and so memorable and poetic and it's going to wow the client and it's going to wow the audiences. And then, you know, you realize pretty quickly, oh, wait, (laughs) that's not what I'm here to do. Yeah. It's not about me. It's yeah. about the you know the product or the service, and then it's also about where it's where it's going to end up, which is you know in the hearts and minds of uh, the consumer, really, especially if we're talking in a commercial context. Sure, and this is probably a little bit of a spanner in the works, but I was at a design conference not too long ago, and the um, vice president of design for Uber mm-hmm. um, asserted that 
ultimately we only re- we only ever can really design for ourselves and it's the attributes that we kind of can relate to in the the audiences um yeah in the attributes that exist in the audience that we end up writing or or, or designing for mm-hmm. what do you think about that oh absolutely and i think when i when i say thinking about who's at the other end chances are who's at the other end is going to be the person who's exactly the same as, like, your mom or your cousin or, you know, someone that you know, a friend. Um, So one bit of advice I got given really early on was, like, if you get a target market to write for and you actually don't, can't actually think of anyone in your life and put a name to that person, you've got to go out and find them. Mm. So, um, because we're, you know, we're, as people, I think, when it comes to language, especially if you're just talking within the Western-speaking world, we're all pretty similar, you know, especially in Australia and in younger countries that like like us or New Zealand, you know, we generally tend to come from the same place. Yeah. So you can, I think, more effectively design or write for yourself and know that someone is going to hear it. Yeah. Um, here, it gets a little bit more complicated when you start to look at bigger markets like the US and the UK because the, the breadth of experience and the different types of people, it's much broader. Mm. So... I think in those instances, that's when you start to have to actually um, expand your network and go out and find those people. Um, Because I think the difference is with uh, copywriting as opposed opposed to design um, is that uh, we're moving into a more of like a conversational um, time when it comes to content marketing and and the like. So... Mm. Uh, and people talk differently. The way pe- what people respond to this, you know, the different idiosyncrasies in language um, do vary quite a lot. Yeah. So how I might interpret some interpret something will be very different to how my dad interprets it, or you know, my friend who lives in country Victoria. You know, so I think it's just having an awareness of um, who you're ideally trying to target. You know, right? Because you never mm. really until you start testing things, you don't really understand how it's going to land. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things as a copywriter I've had to get used to of like, oh, wait, so I come from a creative writing background where it's about the work of art. Yeah. You're creating this unique one, um, never before existed piece of um, creative work, whereas now, you, you know, I'm working with clients and it's like, okay, well, let's test these three different headlines. Let's see which one lands because it's all about converting and sales yeah. usually and helping them achieve their business goals. So. It's interesting to me to see um, the where the where that sort of sweet spot is between mm. the creativity and the data, or the you know the writing and um, the outcome. Sure. And when you say testing, how do you how do you do those tests? Like, do you run like a, a small like mini campaign and then put the dollars behind the one that worked the best? Yeah, and you can even do on a smaller level on websites. You can even test. Um, different uh, buttons, yep. different colours, different texts. Um, you can just A-B test it, so yep. sort of see um, which one works better. Um, sometimes you might <laughs> you might test some, test a few things and none of it works, so then you're kind of going to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, what um, is life? One of those moments. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> How did I get here? Um, yeah, so it really depends, and I think um, – I suppose the the people that I enjoy working with most are the ones who are willing to be a little bit more risky mm. or willing to, you know, take met that, you know, messy imperfect action and mm. just try something and see what happens because once you start to build up the data behind you, 
then it becomes more of a puzzle to work with. For sure. And you can push and pull with the language, whereas if you just sit there and go, well, what about this? What about this phrase? What about this sentence? You know, you're really just shooting in the dark. Sure. And you won't know what works until you actually send it out into the world. Yeah. And something I'm becoming obsessed with is like the idea of shipping something nice and early. Mm. Like get version one out there and get that feedback Um, because the longer we sit on things, the harder it is to let go. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And how about your process? Like what what kind of process do you go through to get to this this end or this point in time where you've got the punchiest words (laughs) on the website? Yeah. Look, it really depends. And, I mean, my process as a writer has evolved like exponentially in the last few years, having worked um, having worked in a couple of really great agencies and learning from other writers in, in that context and also other designers because I think um, the writing process itself is quite solitary. Right. So you spend, right, word pun, um, <laughs> you spend quite a bit of time on your own act- doing the actual writing, but it's funny over the last year the time I've spent actually sitting and doing the writing has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And the time that I spend talking to either the clients or designers um, and collaborating and seeing, nutting it all out first has increased. So, um, yeah, I think the bulk of my process now exists in research. Mm -hmm. And then there's a very research and feedback. And then there's a very small percentage of it that is dedicated to actually writing. Yeah. Which is why, yeah, which is why like I can, you know, I'll spend like an hour talking to someone and then I'll be like, okay, cool. And then I'll go away, punch out a few emails and send it back to them. And they're like, wow, you did that really fast. (laughs) And I was like, well, you just gave me everything I need to know. Wow, you listened to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I I think um, more and more I'm leaning towards a more collaborative approach to copywriting as opposed to hiding or keeping all of my tricks and tools, mm. you know, behind closed doors because I, um, a big, also a big passion of mine is um, teaching people, um, ed- well, educating people about language and how you can use it, um, I, I want to say, to get what you want, but mm. use it for good, you know, and, and not to be afraid of the writing process because I think um, demystifying that um, is really important. Yeah. Because we I- need more creators in the world. For sure. Yeah. yeah, I love that you see it that way. Mm. I'm the same with design. Mm. I think initially, yeah, I had the, the curtain closed and it's like, <laughs> this is my little sorcery like, lab. Like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, but it's like really as soon as you draw the curtains open and let other designers in, they start to give you great feedback and you start to share your thoughts and then a writer's looking at it and they're like, yeah, but how is this actually going to work? There's so much text there mm-hmm. or like, and it becomes this this whole kind of collaborative process, the same way talking to a developer, talking mm. to Nick or talking to Andrew about how's this design going to function. Exactly. Um, and they're like, that's actually going to be really complex or that's actually going to be really easy and you thought it was going to be complex. Absolutely. And I think having those conversations like baked in from the very beginning of anything that you do is like crucial because it'll save you so much time and money later on and less rounds of revisions or or less going back to square one because you've all you're all kind of on the same page when when it comes to, you know, um, the messaging, yeah. how it's gonna look, how it's gonna function, ultimately what you want something to do. Yeah. Um, even from the very smallest uh, output, like an email or a blog post, right through the bit to the biggest, you know, 
I don't know, AI, you know, I, f- I feel like they need, the more people are in the room together and talking and sharing from their specific disciplines, the better the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, um, yeah, involving clients along the way, it's like, yeah, scaffolding toward this, this final solution rather than a grand reveal. I'm just, I'm quoting Blair Ends at the moment who just like, <laughs> is the king of kind of pricing and positioning and, and I guess running really good projects. Mm. And part of it is like stop pitching, stop doing the grand reveal at step 10. Yes. Involve the decision makers all along the way. Absolutely. Because I think um, especially from a copywriting perspective, the, one of the biggest questions I think that a lot of decision makers have is, you know, why should I spend money? Why should I bring in a copywriter? you know, when I can write, when my staff can write, when my designer can write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the value I know that I add comes in not just the actual tangible words on the paper, but with the clarity I'm able to help people get around explaining and articulating what it is you're trying to do. Sure. So it's kind of like this twofold. It's the conversation, but that it's also the, you know, the output, the writing. Yeah. Um, and I'm starting to see that more so now as a freelancer than I did as an agency when I worked in an agency because we, when we were in an agency, we were pitching. Right. You know, and so you're pulling together your best ideas, your best slides, your best everything, and then you go in and then you have a conversation about the project, not necessarily about you as people, mm. which um, what I started to see a lot uh, was the people that were the people that I actually naturally built rapport with were the ones who didn't even hesitate and just said yes, mm. you know. So I think it's really interesting um, that ultimately all this stuff for me always comes down to connection. Mm. It's like, who do I like? Whose mission do I want to get behind? Who's willing to get behind what I'm trying to do, you mm. know? And when you can get uh, relationships that are quite um, reciprocal in that way, um, like you're saying about letting designers behind the curtain, when you let the client behind behind the, behind the veritable curtain and show them like, oh, like instead of this word, we could say this. Or, you know, if you're trying to reach this kind of person, I wouldn't say it like this because it's too aggressive. Mm. And you explain the why mm. um, and not just give them, you know, not just go away write the thing, send it back and they love it. It's like, well, actually, when I send something back, I have comments or I'll call them and be like, hey, here's what I think, um, here's why I did this, here's why this has changed, here's why this was in this order, so that you can start to build a bit of a um, creative vocabulary with them about um, what you do. And so as you move on, if you get the opportunity to work with people long term, those comments and those conversations they get less and less and less and less and less because they now understand how you work. And I think um, that's a, like a primary difference for me with what I'm doing now with um, compared to like say the academic or the creative work that I used to do before mm. because that was always about the grand reveal. Right. You know, or it was about the education. It was about the justification, mm. you know, about the justification for this idea as yeah. opposed to, you know, this is going to make you money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it strikes me as... It's kind of bizarre, the, the concept of the grand reveal. So bizarre. In the sense that it's like essentially not deeply understanding the person. No. Making a bunch of assumptions mm-hmm. and hoping that it surprises and delights them. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> it seems like a really risky way to run a business. Well, for both people too. Mm. Um, and I worked in an ad, ad agency in San Diego, um, which I learned because the people that worked there, you know, the creative director had 20 plus years experience. Um, and 
they they would still do somewhat of a big reveal, especially if it was like a million, you know, couple million dollar campaign. Mm. But the way that they would, uh, I suppose, filter through how it's going would be obviously through the account managers and through the account director, right. who would take them out to lunch and sort of give them snippets of things as they came through, which I thought was quite nice. Um, yeah, but also probably important to oh. be gradually validating the idea along the way. Well, yeah, especially with such big budgets, you know, they they just naturally want to see something, whereas I find, you know, clients, you you know, working with them for a grand or two, they're just like, eh, that's fine. Like, Mm. yeah, I'm happy to see it whenever it's ready. Um, And I wonder too, like, I always think about this as well. I I love getting an insight into people's process, but I I know that there are people out there who are just like, I just don't want to know how it works, just make it happen. Right. So I wonder how much of how a big reveal would land depending on what kind of person, again, what kind of person you're dealing with on the other end. Yeah, I mean, there is something exciting about being surprised as a human. Yes. Um, and I, I guess that's that's where it has its place. But, um, yeah, I, I think in business and when you're making an investment for something, it can be so risky um, mm. to just hand over a process and get to the end. Even if you've worked with them before, it's like, oh, you've taken this adjective or this kind of this kind of pillar and just pursued it all the way down and we actually meant this. Yes. And now we have to start again. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, but preventable. <laughs> but absolutely preventable. Yeah. yeah, by yeah, by doing these, you know, even if it's just little snippets of this is where this is at, what do you think? You know, that yeah, that cyclical um process of feedback as opposed to round 1, round 2. Yeah. Know? And you said earlier, you know, it's it's exciting to draw open the curtain and let in your creative collaborators, but also let in the client. But on that, how much? <laughs> oh dear. Well, you don't want to freak them out, right? You know. Yeah. And um, my uh, one of the first questions I'll always ask people that I work with is, you know, how much do you write? I would you consider yourself a writer? Because then that'll tell me how much. Um, it'll be, I'll be able to gauge what level of interest they're going to have in seeing my process. Mm-hmm. Some people, um, you know, a lot of the small business owners I work with, for example, they do a lot of the writing themselves. Mm-hmm. So what they then really need from me is digital knowledge or they just want to polish it up and clean it up and make sure it's grammatically correct, which is also fine. And they get a lot of value from that because they're invested in the process, you know. Mm. Um, so... I don't know. I'm I'm pretty much an open book when it comes to writing, also because this is stuff that's been around forever. You know, language, you know, syntax, um, grammar, like it's stuff that you can actually just Google it all. I think the magic is in the construct, so the order in which you say and do things. Sure. Which um, that's where I suppose my creative process kicks in, um, right. and especially if I am working with someone who writes uh, all their own content. I have the ability of being able to have a bird's eye view, not just of the piece, but also of where it sits within the landscape of all the other writing that they've got, whether that's social media accounts, websites, um, client communications, product packaging, you know. So that's the other part of the writing process to me. Like you can approach it on a very uh, micro level and um, what's the word? deconstruct people's sentences Mm. if that's what they want. They might say, oh, I wrote this, but it doesn't quite, hasn't quite landed. What do you think? Or you can look at it from a macro perspective and go, okay, 
where is this, what is this thing a part of? What do you, what's the yeah. bigger picture you're trying to achieve? Yeah, what's the whole ecosystem? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And do you feel as though as you've progressed as a, as a writer, you're slowly, like, zooming out? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And we start, like, at the, the closest zoom level mm-hmm. on the piece mm-hmm. and gradually it's zooming further and further out to be like, okay, even in this whole context, for me, it's like design plays this role mm. and the words play this role yes. and the architecture and the interior. Mm. And it's like all of a sudden it's not the logo anymore. No, no. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the call to action on the mm. website, although that could potentially be a better summary. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool um, that, that you see that it in a similar way about zooming out slowly. Well, and also too, I think, um, again, sort of circling back to that point um, I made earlier about thinking about who, on who's on the other end, mm. it's not just about thinking who they are, but it's also how do you how do you want them to feel, you know, because ultimately that's what people remember. And you think about all the biggest brands in the world, they're all the ones that uh, create like long-lasting emotional connections with their customers, yep. which I know sounds a little woo-woo, but <laughs> <laughs> um, language is, you know, predominantly the quickest and most um, um, one of the most effective ways to do that, mm. to really get into people, not just get into people's heads, but also get into their hearts. So I try to also infuse a little bit of that with everything that I write, um, knowing, you know, using my research to create the best possible situation for that person on the other end to experience whatever it is I'm trying to communicate. Sure. Um, and you're talking about kind of it's this longer-term journey, mm-hmm. like entering the hearts and minds of the, yeah. the, the, the audience that you're speaking to. And also you mentioned that it's important the order in which things are said. Mm-hmm. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, – and I use uh, – I'll use an example um, that I read recently about um, uh, price points. Mm-hmm. So um, – what this, I can't remember where it was from. I have to find the details for you. But um, basically, the higher the price point, the more um, the more people need to know. So if I'm selling, say, apples, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I could just and you you walk into a um, you walk into the supermarket and there's a little sign that says crisp, fresh, delicious, and they're two dollars a kilo. You're like, great, easy, yeah. love apples. Yeah. You know, no brainer. However, if you were to walk into that same supermarket um, and there was a TV for sale for like two grand and I was just like, you know, your favourite shows, 50-inch, $2,000, you'd be like, I, what else? Like, well, I, need, I need to know what else does it do for $2,000? Yeah. So I think um, – and the order in which you were to say that, like you wouldn't just say – well, I mean, in, from my perspective, it's not ideal to say, buy this TV now, $2,000, and then list all its benefits. Mm. You're going to want to ease people into the journey um, and also to re- to point out for them the benefits, right? So a lot of what I do is trying to find out what they actually are. <laughs> Whether what the it's, real benefits yeah, are. Yeah, what are the real benefits? Not just, you know, shows, um, you know, HD or blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, if I'm talking about a TV, it's like, you know, it's from the comfort of your own home. You know, it's about, again, it's about the context in which it's in. And it's very much the same with how you write about things, you mm. know, and especially when we're moving into a time when, um, you know, and we've been, <laughs> we've 
I essentially we've been here already for a long time where our attention spans are like gnat. Mm. So, you know, from a writing perspective, it's understanding that if someone is going to be, say, scrolling on their phone, looking at this TV you're trying to sell, or it might even be something more um, more important or more heavy, like, I don't know, like cancer treatments, for mm -hmm. example. If you say if you're working with Peter Mac, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're going to want to give them everything that they need to know so that they can make the right the right decision that, that this product or service is exactly what they want. So, um, but you, then you also have to weigh that up with where they're going to be looking at it, you know. Mm. So, um, people don't read on phones anymore, they just scan. So, from a, a copywriting perspective, it's like, okay, if I know someone's just scanning, I'm going to want to be using words that they're going to be... Uh, E that are going to be easy to pull out of the copy yeah. that also decreases the cognitive load. So you're going to want short sentences. You, you want clear and easy to understand language that's spaced out appropriately so that they've got a spot to put their finger in between each paragraph. Yeah, right. You know, so it's starting to weave in a little bit of design thinking into how I design my content. For sure. Yeah. So it really depends on... Um, again, what you're trying to achieve and how big the decision is that the person's needing to make. Yeah. I love that there's like this sweet spot of elements to include in something, mm. like in a composition. It's like, be easy on the be easy on the poor human. <laughs> Don't overwhelm them with all these different point sizes. Like pick three yes. and make sure they're, they're different enough from each other. Mm. Stick with one typeface. So, you know, go with two, but don't go with ten. And the writing equivalent of that is pick one or two ideas. Don't try to chat to jam 20 into one paragraph yeah. because people aren't going to understand and it's going to be jumping all over the place, again, increasing that cognitive load as they're having to make all the connections in their head. Yeah. Mm. And um, same can be said for music. Oh, yes. It's like let's keep it to two or three hooks. Like That's it. We don't need to go crazy here. <laughs> let's let's mimic the vocal, like mimic the vocal line on the guitar and then... Just noodle around that on bass, and then all of a sudden it's like there are two or three bits here. Perfect. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I reckon that's a pretty good note to end on. Solid. Thanks so much for coming in. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.